Hey guys, and thanks for joining us today at ID Sports. Today, we are doing our 2021 season preview of New York City FC. We are joined today by Michael Anderer from Blue City Radio. Michael, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, and, and thank you for joining us. We are covering on IED Sports every Major League Soccer team before the start of the 2021 season. Today, NYCFC got the blue lights. I got my blue shirt. I'm being very agreeable today. The bomb pop. <laughs> yeah. Oh No, no, this is the uh, the gradient, my, my favorite U.S. Oh, Men's okay, National Team jersey. Oh, yeah. Our usual logo is the Red Bull scarves hanging behind me, so we're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're taking that away for today. Um, let's jump into NYCFC. A lot of people watching this video are going to be seasoned MLS fans, but there's going to be some people who maybe have never followed soccer before and want to know a little bit about ownership, culture, history, stadium. Let's get into that part of NYCFC. All right. Well, the ownership conversation is is interesting. Uh, NYCFC is owned by CFG. That's the same uh, company that owns Manchester City. They also own um, Melbourne City, uh, I believe four other clubs uh, around the around the world. Um, Obviously, with uh, Manchester City, you can see that they, what they've done in the Premier League, uh, they have uh, CFG has managed to win trophies in almost every league that they've uh, they've joined and bought uh, teams in, with the exception of NYCFC. Um, you mentioned Red Bulls, so I'll I'll just bring it out there. Uh, there is a big concern amongst NYCFC fans with the uh, the fact that the ownership is not local. And you see, you're seeing what's happening in Austin. You're seeing what's happening in Nashville and, and all these other markets. Cincinnati is another example. Uh, yeah. Columbus, where local ownership, oh, probably Atlanta is the biggest, the biggest example of it. Uh, local ownership can, can move mountains. And when you're uh, a multi conglomerate and you're based in uh, the UAE and you have the, uh, the track record politically that, that, that those areas have, uh, to try to get things done in uh, in New York City is is very tough. Absolutely. Now we talk. You, I love that you mentioned Austin FC because Matthew McConaughey. I think his title. We we had the guys from Austin over on, on the show earlier. I think his title is Ambassador of Culture. I mean, they are really trying to nail it on the head over in Austin, but in New York City, things can be a little problematic with that group. And with the stadium, because they are playing in Yankee Stadium, they will be playing a number of home games at Red Bull Arena. And I know that that is a problem to some NYCFC followers. Can you just touch briefly, briefly on the the stadium situation and what it means to have a stadium in New York City? Uh, a stadium in New York City would be huge. And the reality of it is, is they were very close a few years ago. Um, un unfortunately, and this is going to be an excuse that is going to get thrown around for a lot in the next couple of years, but COVID messed things up. And I, and I don't discount the impact that COVID had on on the, um, the political world and, and, and all those wheels turning. You think about the courts and the, and the different um, committees that would meet regularly, and now they all had to take a pause. Um, the other thing that is a big factor in it is the political uh, landscape. So this is an election year for mayor. Uh, mayor de Blasio is termed out, so he's not going to be coming in. And it's now a matter of uh, who's going to get elected what their support for a stadium is going to be and how much of it is uh how long is it going to take if it's a someone who doesn't have a lot of uh, interest in it how long is it going to take to change their mind the biggest factor for the proposed site the proposed site is actually right next to the existing yankee stadium there's a series of parking garages uh, on the opposite side of the park 
that um, that uh, are not you know, really not utilized at all because uh, the Yankees uh, they don't draw well. Obviously, with with COVID, they're not going to draw as much. But th- those are underutilized parking garages. There's also a factory that uh, an elevator factory that's uh, opposite those garages. All that area can fit the stadium perfectly. The problem is you'd have to reroute one of the one of the um, busiest arteries heading into New York City, which is the Major Deegan. Um, so you'd have to take away a ramp, and you'd have to figure out what does that mean to people that have to use uh, use that roadway. So it the impact would be huge. I think it would be um, they could be the biggest team in the league if they got a stadium in 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 the Bronx uh, in the city, something that's right off a, a subway artery. But uh, until then, they're the laughing stock. And you mentioned it. Um, they're, the team is playing eight games, possibly eight games. We know they're definitely playing six based on the Yankees' playoff uh, schedule. They could be playing two the last two games in Yankee Stadium. But right now, the schedule has them to play eight in uh, in Red Bull Arena. And uh, fans are, uh, are, are basically starting their exodus. Um, I'm seeing Absolutely. it. On and we saw that on both ways because a lot of NYCFC, just to give a little more history, Red Bull have been in um, as the Metro Stars since 1996. And a lot of fans from New York City were fans of the New York Red Bulls. And when NYCFC, the the shiny new toy came out, I guess, what, it's five or six years already? Six years. A lot of a lot of fans did make the move because they said, we need a New York City. This is a New Jersey team. And they moved over. And, and now it's kind of like who's got pie on their face or egg on their face. I don't know. I forget what the saying is because... <laughs> Now they're playing at Red Bull Arena where they left because they didn't want to play anyway. So there's a little bit of a mess there, but I, I think it could get done either way. Whenever you see a team playing in a football or baseball stadium, the obvious issues, uh, field size and schedule. I mean, let's face it. If, if the new stadium is built next to Yankee Stadium, there still aren't going to be able to have games on the same day. So that's another challenge for NYCFC, one that they face and one that they've dealt with to, to some success in, in the past. But let's move on and talk about the 2020 season before featuring today's current squad. Last season, 12-8-3 in 2020, 37 goals scored and 25 goals allowed. If you look at the major contributors, Valentin Castellanos, 6 goals, 3 assists. Jesus Medina, 5 goals, 2 assists. You had Anton Tinnerholm, 4 goals, 4 assists. Alexander Ring, 4 goals, 4 assists. Alexandro Matriza, 4 goals, 2 assists. And... Maximiliano Morales, Maxi Morales, one goal and four assists. Now, Michael, before I turn it over to you, my thoughts on 2020, if you had told me Castellanos would lead the team in goals in September, I would say this team would have missed the playoffs. They did not. A lot of lesser players stepped up. How do you feel about the 2020 season? I, I think the biggest challenge with that season was uh, they had, a, they had a, a huge loss. First of all, they had a, their striker, Ebert, he went down uh, mid-season uh, injury in a, in a game in Red Bull Arena versus Toronto, and that was um, that was a huge factor. He was the guy who who NYCFC was counting on to score most of their goals this year. Uh, the the it's a good thing that the other players stepped up, but uh, the other thing that NYCFC dealt with was uh, they made some really interesting decisions. Uh, the front office, since uh, Claudio Reyna left, and uh, they let Alexandra Matriza go off on loan. Apparently that was for personal reasons. He wanted to be near his wife who was expecting. So here's a guy who had four goals and two assists and coming into crunch time, you let him go. Uh, so that was uh, that was interesting. But overall, I think that 
most fans will look at this season or look at let the 2020 season as a positive because you had a head coach that was signed basically yeah. the first week of, of January. Uh, pandemic happened. Uh, the you know, MLS is back tournament it ha happened. And when you look at NYCFC's record after coming back from the MLS is back tournament, they actually did very well. They had the loss to Red Bull. I think they had one other loss uh, uh, late in the season. But for the most part, it was a lot of wins and a lot of draws. And I think that's the that's the key. Even with a with a depleted lineup, uh, Ronnie Dyla was able to uh, to get the most out of out of his squad. I do agree there. And in in before we step into the actual starting lineup, there there seem to be a lot of important players. You touched on one of them in Matriza leaving halfway or towards the end of last season. Ronald Matarita, he is now with FC Cincinnati. You also had Alexander Ring, who is now in Austin FC. So at this point last year, you had to have a little bit of a different feeling. This was a star-studded roster. And what do you have to say about between that team then and the team that we have now? You know, uh, Maxime Cheneau, who's a defender for the club, who's been uh, with the team for uh, four years, he uh, recently did an interview and he, he basically said, look, turnover is one of the common themes of this, this club. You, we've seen it with stars like Jack Harrison going over to uh, to, to England, and now he's playing with uh, with Leeds. You saw it with uh, David Villa um, in a year where he wanted to play and continue to play with uh, NYCFC. Uh, CFG wasn't wasn't interested in in continuing that partnership, and he went over to Japan. So they've taken some good talent and and moved uh, moved on from that. The, the I think the biggest thing that they're going to have to deal with the real leadership void is with Alex Ring. He was hands down two years ago, one of the best number sixes in the league, very underrated position. And uh, yes, James Sands is, is there and is capable. And there's a lot of questions as to why James Sands is in, uh, in Guadalajara with the U23s. But James Sands, uh, his biggest problem is he can't stay healthy. Absolutely. So let's get a look at this depth chart. And this is unofficial. I, I'm not a person in the know, but I made this up on my own try. So let, I guess we can start at the midfield. I, I think that's kind of a rational point to start with this team because you had guys like James Sands and Keaton Parks um, kind of step up during last season. So how, how do you think about this midfield? We'll talk about the holding midfield, Samson, Keaton Parks. Where do they fit in and are there any other pieces of this puzzle? Uh, no, I mean, well, Sands and Parks, there's a lot of talk. And we just mentioned the, the uh, U23s in qualifying. There's a lot of talk that those two guys actually should be with the U23. Sands is a number six and Parks is a I guess as a, a num another number six or a number eight, someone who can uh, who can really play well out of pressure. And uh, he Parks is a guy who can receive the ball, can play it quick. Um, he's not a guy who takes too many touches. He just knows how to how to how to how to get the ball to the to the next level, and 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 get it get it out of that backfield and move it forward. And it, he does it seamlessly. Um, and then the other key to that midfield is Maxi Morales. Uh, he's he's the ten, but again, he's a guy who. With his age, is uh, you know, is is finding it harder and harder to stay healthy and to stay on the field, and he missed about a third of the season last year. So great, you know, or not great numbers, but good numbers. But he had been the team MVP for uh, two years running, and uh, then last year missed uh, missed missed a chunk because he just uh, couldn't stay fit. Absolutely, and I think that this midfield uh, absolutely held the team together along with. Alex ring last year and it, it had to do with everyone kind of performing at their peak and doing a little better than they did last week. And I really like to see these young guys uh, have success moving forward, but I'm not necessarily one to kick ring aside. Oh, he's 29. Let's get him out of here. I think he would have had quite a bit to contribute to the team this year. Also, 
Well, I think for one thing that people who didn't follow NYCFC last year probably don't know, Alex Ring played about eight games as a left winger. So Ronnie Dyla felt enough uh, faith and felt that basically Keaton Parks and James Sands were his his midfield tandem. And Alex Ring was pushed uh, to, to he played the number 10 at one game. He played the uh, left wing a number of games. So I think the writing was on the wall that, um, yes, it was great that Alex was willing to do the, the work that he that the coach requested and was willing to play anywhere. But he's not a left winger. Um, so it was one of those things where you take him, you take, you take the good and the bad. Absolutely. He, no one, only Sean Johnson played more minutes last year than Alex ring. He played 2000 and 14 minutes. So absolutely. He was used. Let's move out to the current left winger. You got Jesus Medina on the other side. You got Ismail Tahori Shradi. What do you think about those two players? Where do they stand on the great level of, of MLS quality wingers? And what are they going to be able to contribute this season? All right. Well, this is this is probably where we're going to spend most of our time talking if, if we're going to talk about depth charts. Um, Jesus Medina is not a winger. And Ronnie Diala, when he came in last year, basically said that. He said, uh, I don't know what the previous two coaches were thinking. Medina is not a winger. He's actually a number eight. He should be a box to box midfielder. But again, if you're playing a four, three, three, Jesus Medina is not going to be able to do the defensive work to make you want to take Keaton Parks out of the lineup. Uh, Jesus Medina has been starting on the right wing. Uh, Valentin Castellanos has been the, the starting striker. In the preseason, oddly enough, NYCFC has a new homegrown player, Andres Jason. And uh, he was signed last year just before their uh, the club's return to CONCACAF Champions League. And in the preseason games that, that uh, he's played in, he's been involved in, I think, seven of the team's 10 goals. Um, in preseason. So he's a young player. He's dynamic. And basically when you think about him and his style, he's a tricky type player that will force defenses to make decisions. And he will, he will accumulate a lot of fouls and a lot of yellow cards because he just makes defenders jump and, and stretch and he can get them off balance. And that's what happens. Absolutely. I love it. So when we go up to the top, you got, um, a bear still out on injury that I will assume will be until late summer. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, Ronnie Dyla came out a couple of weeks ago in a press conference and said um, uh, J- June, July. So we're stuck with uh, Valentin Castellanos, who did more than an admirable job stepping up last year. Again, he had six goals and two assists in, I think, 1,344 minutes, 14 starts. Again, that is part of the story for me for everyone in this NYCFC team doing just a little better than maybe we thought they could. Castellanos, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, is NYCFC comfortable? Do we think they're going to go out and try to find another? I, I think they should. I, de- I definitely think they need some more attacking uh, talent up there. They definitely just need options. I guess that's the biggest thing. Um, one of the things that we saw from this team in 2020 was Ronnie Dyla basically leaned on the same 13 or 14 guys all season long, regardless of schedule congestion, regardless of how many games they had to play in a week, days off. And during the playoff game versus Orlando, which a lot of Fans probably know how, how that, that ended. NYCFC was forced to sub out Alex Ring, Ronald Moderita, a lot of their starters because they just didn't have the legs to go through that extra time period. Castellanos, if you, if you want a style, think of him like a Dom Dwyer. He's trying to play like a Dom Dwyer. He wants to be physical with the center backs. He wants to, uh, he basically welcomes the contact. He does try to get calls too many times, and that's been his biggest, um, his biggest flaw. Uh, people call him a flopper. 
but uh, he forces defenders to make mistakes. And when uh, when they make mistakes, he usually has a tendency, uh, an ability to capitalize. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit now about this NYCFC back line. Callens and Cheneau bring a little stability to the back line at center back. Is there anyone else in the mix here? Uh, no, Sebastian Abiyaga is on the depth chart who can play on either side. They actually have been playing a, an unsigned draft pick, Luke Lotnovich, um, in a lot of games. They also, as in the depth chart behind Anton Tinnerholm, they have Tavon Gray, who's a, a U.S. Uh, you know U17 um, for, former U17 player. Uh, he can play center back. You have James Sands who can drop back if you needed to uh, to have him play center back because you do have Nicholas Acevedo as a as a six behind Sands. So I, I think they have a they have good stability. The problem with um, Chano and Callens is they are getting older, um, and Chano. Uh, and and we've seen this most commonly against Red Bull struggles with uh, with pressure. He's gotten better, but he's definitely a player that needs time to make his decisions. And in one of the uh, memorable games versus um, Red Bull in Red Bull Arena, he made a pass that directly to I think it was uh, Sean Davis, and it was a goal in like two other two more passes. It was just a it was one of those brain freezes. So they're good, they're not great. I think between um, Sean Johnson and those two center backs, I think. NYCFC is expecting to limit chances and uh, limit goals. Um, they they do have a solid defense. The left side is that question mark. Yeah. So you have uh, on my I'm real real hard on, on the pronunciation of his first name. I believe Thorarinson is the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, on his last name, the the Icelandic left back um, played with the Norway first division. Uh, played in. The Swedish first division. Now he's taking his chance in MLS. He did play. Uh, I believe he had seven starts, about seven hundred minutes during last season. And also on the depth chart, you have Amundsen. So I have the Rarenson have it having started. Um, do do you think that that is going to be a position battle? Uh, I think it. Well, here's what we're we're lear learning. Also, uh, NYCFC a couple of days ago signed uh, Red Bull, former Red Bull Academy prospect, Chris Gloucester. So Gloucester had been with uh, Red Bull, then went over to Europe and was playing with PSV. He was with PSV's uh, uh, reserve squad. And uh, after not getting a lot of minutes, uh, came back over to MLS. So he just completed quarantine on uh, Tuesday, um, did his first training session with the club on Tuesday. But there's a lot of talk that... Um, it's really going to be a competition between Gloucester and Admonson uh, for that starting position. And there's uh, thoughts that maybe Thorarenson would be a guy will will move up to the wing. And it'll really be not about um, attacking as much and his attacking uh, ability, but it will be about solidifying the, de the defense on that side and forcing teams to come up the, uh, the other side where they'd be running into Anton Tinnerholm. Sounds like a good strategy to me. Um, Tinnerholm is, you know, <laughs> those MLS vets, just solid, just just rock solid. So yeah, that back line for NYCFC is the one of the reasons why I think they have a chance to be successful next season. Scored 37 goals, only allowed 25. That's a plus 12 over a shortened season. That gives us reason to have hope. So let's just, uh, you know, we talk about the players. Put on your uh, optimist hat and, and let us know why we should be excited for NYCFC next season. Well, I think it's the first of we'll start. It's the coach's uh, first season uh, or I'm sorry, second season. So obviously, you know, the transition and, and what goes on as coaches have to learn uh, clubs, learn players, uh, 
look, the, the travel situation last year was not ideal. There was times when you, uh, you were traveling the same day. Um, I think that's something that a lot of clubs are going to continue to do because of league rules. Um, uh, there's the, we have to go to LA this year. So, um, that'll be a, a you know, that I don't think Ronnie Dyla is used to flying six hours for, for one single home game. I mean, one single, single league game, but yeah, optimist. It's about, uh, the fact that this squad defensively is still very solid. The negative is obviously that front line, the lack of depth and the let and the, 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 the question marks about health, you know, Maxi Morales and, uh, a bear being, being the big piece, but this is a, an abbreviated season also. It's starting uh, April 17th for the club. And when you think about it, there's there's a lot of teams that are looking to sign talent in that uh, summer window. And when you yeah. think about it in the past, you know, summer window signing, you might be halfway through your season by the time that player gets acclimated. And now a summer window signing could actually be be around for, you know, two-thirds of your games, if not more. So NYCFC has been uh, rumored to be getting um, some more uh, – um, Number ten depth, uh, Santiago Rodriguez is a player that's been named to the club. Um, so there's a there's a lot of hope that um, if they can play smart, get some early wins, then um, they, they'll get they'll get those those players that Ronnie Dyla wants to uh, to make this team an attacking team uh, later on in the season. He's been one of those coaches, and it's a, it's something that a lot of coaches say. But he's been one of those coaches that says he'd rather win five four than four than one nothing. Yeah, he he has, and that's uh, hey. More power to you. You, you want to be entertaining in Major League Soccer. This is America after all. So definitely really good stuff there. I think most teams are going to look at that summer transfer window. During the past transfer window, for those of you who are following along, there were some collective bargaining agreement issues and, and threats of a lockout. And players from all national teams were being told, don't go to the United States. We don't know what's going to happen there. So with that cloud lifted, hopefully NYCFC can find some help this season and have a good 2020. Before we leave, I just want you to make your prediction realistically. Playoff team, one win playoff team. What are we looking at for NYCFC? Uh, yes, realistically, they're a playoff team. Uh, they finished seventh in the East uh, last year. Uh, given you know, can, uh, when when you think about all the challenges that they had, uh, it, it that that would have put them in the playoffs this year. Again, uh, I think the the thing that's going to be this interesting thing is going to be. The question of what is the impact of playing in Red Bull Arena for as many games as they are, um, and then uh, well, it's a beautiful place to play, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and they've and they've said that as much. But when you look at the uh, the Eastern Conference um, and you look at the teams below uh, NYCFC, uh, really only New England, uh, New England and Atlanta are the two that make you uh, nervous. So the question mark for the Eastern Conference is going to be. Is Orlando here to stay? Are they are they really a, a converted team? I do believe so with Oscar Pereja at the helm, uh, and then uh, Nashville and uh, and Red Bull. Where where do they? Uh, actually, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. NYCFC finished fifth last year, not seventh. Um, yeah, they were a little higher up there. I yeah. think one of the bigger questions for this season is going to be how many playoff teams are there going to be? I think that that has more weighing in on the question than uh, than anything else there. Yeah, and they 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 know they announced that it's going to be seven teams per per conference. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I, I, from your mouth to God's ears. Okay. Um, again, Michael, thank you for joining us today. Uh, this is Michael from Blue City Radio. Before we leave, just give us one more pitch. Let us know uh, what you're working on and where we can find you. Okay. Well, uh, I'm on Twitter at bluecityradio.com. Uh, actually, right now, kind, kind of how you're doing it, we're, we're currently going through the Eastern Conference and, and previewing a lot of clubs. Uh, we've done um, 
a bunch already. We did DC, uh, Cincinnati, um, Chicago, and uh, this week we're probably going to do Orlando. Uh, it'll be a fun conversation because I just mentioned the Orlando playoff loss, and you mentioned Goody Thorarenson. Uh, the memory stuck in everyone's head is Goody Thorarenson basically taking a penalty kick and having uh, Schlegel, the, uh, the right back for Orlando, making the save. So uh, the team needs to get back. I can do it, Coach. Put me in. I think that was us. <laughs> I can do it, Coach. Put me in. But uh, but that's uh, we again. We've been covering the team since 2015. We were uh, we were the first podcast to cover NYCFC, and uh, we just uh, recorded episode 312 uh, last week. So awesome! Congratulations on that, and have a great 2020 season, everyone out out there. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, any of these podcast platforms, all major podcast platforms. You can also find us at i80sports.com or on Twitter at i80 underscore sports. Thank you again for joining us here today at ID Sports.